Hey, welcome to the More Life, Less Drama podcast. I'm your host, Prue Sulisic, and I'm here to lead you to a more fulfilling and peaceful life. This is not some fancy podcast bringing you extraordinary stories. I'm just here keeping it real, raw, and honest, so you know it's possible for you too. I want you to know yourself so well, nothing stands in your way. So let's get to it. Life is waiting. Hello, lovely people. Welcome back to another episode of More Life, Less Drama. Today, I'm talking into the topic of speaking. And with speaking comes being visible. Yes, that sort of goes hand in hand. When you speak and use your voice, people look at you, they see you, and hopefully they hear you. I want to actually walk you through this concept of actually speaking. And if you're not speaking up, and if you do have the fear of public speaking, then this is really going to help you, help you maybe solve this problem once and for all. Do you know people fear public speaking more than death? What? That means these people believe public speaking and being visible must be so unsafe. It means it's just super dangerous. That's how your body reacts to it. Anybody who is in this category, I'm sure you know the visceral reaction that your body has to this. And I want to give you some great news. If your brain is capable of convincing you that dying is better than speaking, I bet it's capable you can actually channel that epic ability into believing in yourself, speaking well, speaking up, and even loving yourself. Hmm. Isn't that interesting if that could happen? Glossophobia, that's the term. That's the scientific word for this particular phobia. It consumes more than 75% of the population. Like, I mean, that is massive. 75% of the population would rather die than to public speak. Like, I feel it. Like, I'm one of these 75% for sure, working on it, working, like etching my way into the 25% for sure. But me four years ago, hell no, I was like well and truly in that 75%. So just let's think of it this way. If you're in a boardroom with 12 people, nine of them would rather die than speak. That blows my mind. I was one of 12 in a boardroom once and it's actually where I started to gain my confidence. Maybe I saw this stat back then. I think I've said it on the podcast before, it's actually where I started to see people just as people rather than these extraordinary humans that are so much better than me. I was working on my self-belief, you see. So let's put it into different scenarios. In a classroom full of 36 kids, 24 of them are packing themselves on oral presentation day. (laughs) This actually makes me feel so much better because I was... Yeah, that 14-year-old girl that was just packing myself on that day. And what about in weekly work meetings and work functions, awards nights? If we put 100 people in a room together at a a function, 75% of people would be mortified if you called them up on stage impromptu to say something. Are you feeling this? Like if I said to you, hey, Just come up and say something quickly and you weren't prepared and you didn't have anything to say, how would your body react? So let's think about the grassroots problem 
that could arise if you are afraid to speak up. Because I just want to put this into our ordinary everyday lives because that's what we are. We're just ordinary people just doing ordinary things and it can actually affect us. If you're petrified of public speaking, take out the word public and just say speaking. If that's still you, then it's actually going to be having an impact on your life somehow. And we want to get to the bottom of it. We want to get to the bottom of how it is actually creating the results you have in life that you might not like. Maybe it's affecting how you communicate with your partner, your husband, your wife, your yeah, long-term live-in housemate. <laughs> Maybe it's affecting how you talk to your kids. Possibly you're just not. Possibly stuff is coming up and you're just not discussing it. What about how it's affecting you, how you deal with conflict? Are you a person that just like doesn't say anything or do you go into fight mode? I know for me, for sure, I'm I'm just not saying anything. I'm just sitting there overthinking it. <laughs> um, what about how are you in your friend groups? Maybe you're not saying things that you really want to say because you're worried about hurting people's feelings or going against the grain somehow. Maybe it's affecting how you contribute in your working environment. You know, maybe you're you've got some great ideas and you just haven't actually said them out loud. Maybe you disagree with something. Maybe you'd like to do something a new way, but you're just too afraid to speak up. Maybe you just don't like having people's eyes on you, being the center of attention. Maybe that's a story that you've actually told yourself for years and years and years and you just believe it to be true. So just think, so those things, communicating with your partner, talking with your kids, dealing with conflict, how you are in a group of friends and contributing at work, like these are literally the bare minimum that life calls for, right? And I have a feeling that if you're one of those nine people out of 12 that is begging (laughs) for death before public speaking, then I'm pretty certain you have a lot that is left unsaid in your life, like I just mentioned. You may not want to say things and speak up and you might choose not to, because a lot of the mental chatter and the underlying belief systems, you just don't know even exist. That It just comes up. It just feels like the truth for you. Your brain offers you a thought and you believe it it's because you've thought it so many times. So why is this an important piece of work to work on? Well, for me, it's super easy to answer. If you fear speaking in public or fear speaking in general, you don't believe in yourself. You think you are unworthy. That's what it would chunk down to. If I was to do an exercise on you that would chunk down this belief system, I know for sure it would end up as that. You would think you are unworthy. And from the feeling of unworthiness, you just settle. Do you ever get that? You're like, oh, just going to stay here. It feels safe here. Even though I'm like really resenting everything, it seems too hard to change it. So you settle for a life filled with drama, you settle for a life filled with disappointment, you settle in relationships that keep you small, you settle for finances that keep you stuck, you are actually choosing to stay silenced. And for me, this is the best bit. This is the best bit. This is why I do what I do. I'm here to teach you to fully step into yourself and go after the life you deserve. Because I deserve it, you deserve it, every single person deserves a life they want. 
And a great way to get started and to smash those old beliefs to smithereens is to learn to love speaking. You've heard me from the very beginning of this podcast, 20 episodes or 21 episodes ago, I was pretty shit. Like I've even improved over 20 episodes. So that's 20 weeks. Imagine what you could be doing if you were practicing like this as well. And I realize not everybody has a podcast and you don't need one. You don't need a podcast. You just need to practice speaking. So imagine when you do love speaking, you'll speak up in the office. You'll raise your hand at that Zoom training. You'll share at events. You'll ask for what you want in the bedroom. Ooh la la. You'll clearly communicate with your kids, partners, and family. And it's a skill also to know when not to speak. That's a huge piece of this. And that also takes confidence and self-assuredness too. So because you're here and, you know, I've got plenty of stories about myself, (laughs) I'm just going to share another story with you. And I hope you're not sick of my stories just yet. Again, I share it because I just know that you're like me and you just want to understand and relate to somebody that is just like you, that is going through the same things. And yes, I might be a couple of steps ahead of you, but that is it. I'm just a couple of steps ahead. And so I know these stories will help. And so once I started doing this work and have started practicing speaking and speaking up, and now I'm moving to podcasts and speaking on stages, I can see all the benefits playing out. This is what my life was like. So when I was little, my big sister, God love her, (laughs) she talked for me. I'm not actually sure why this happens. Like, I just don't know why. Maybe she saw that I was quiet and needed to be spoken up for. Maybe she was like advocating for me even at an early age. So I didn't speak. She spoke for me. And it's funny because actually my mum has told me on a couple of occasions that I was a quiet baby. She said that she would forget to feed me because I didn't cry. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And as a side note, if you believe in past lives, which I 100% do, I wonder what I experienced to be like that. Mm, It gets me thinking all the time about that. Because what baby is really quiet? Like I, all my babies cried. Maybe Oscar was the least cryy, <laughs> but he still cried. And so it's interesting to hear that I didn't cry as a baby and I didn't speak as a toddler and I was forced to speak when I got older. That's the end of the side note. So a silent ba- baby, a toddler and a small child looked after and spoken for by my big sister, two and a half years older. And by the time I got to school for that very first day at five and a half, I was a late attender. I was petrified. I vividly remember standing in the line, going into my classroom at St. Peter's and Paul's Catholic School and being asked by my new teacher to find my name on the wall and to tell her what it was. Oh, I was so scared. I I remember just being frozen. I remember seeing each kid before me do, do the thing. And as I got closer and closer, my heart was just racing like I was about to be eaten by a tiger. I remember squeezing my mom's hand in that moment so, so tight. And honestly, if I knew about death back then, I most probably would have thought that was easier to bear. 
because up until that point in life, and I find this intriguing, I don't actually have any memories of being scared or fearful of anything. My sister, she must have kept me really safe and my family must have been really supportive and lovely because I never felt any fear up until that day. Yet that day, my young brain thought and then attached it, attached the fear to speaking. And so therefore, I created a belief that speaking was so unsafe. Just look at how my body reacted. It must have been. Like there's no other explanation to say why I was having that reaction. It was just about speaking. If I didn't have to speak, I'll be totally fine. And since then, my body has always taken over and I've had that visceral reaction to any sort of speaking moments. Another moment in that same year, well, at least I think it was the same year in my young mind it was, there was a time that I actually wet my pants on stage in a rehearsal for a play. I was playing Venus, you know, that beautiful planet with all floaty and lovely, and I needed to go to the loo. But the thought of interrupting and asking to go to the loo was more embarrassing and scary than peeing my pants. So I have this vivid memory thinking, oh, I think that's easier. That's the easier option. (laughs) So I just peed my pants. The brain works in mysterious ways. So strange. Because as an adult, I'm thinking, hmm, I reckon I would speak up and ask to go to the loo rather than just peeing my pants. But five or six-year-old me was like, no way. It's too dangerous to speak up. It's just easier to do this way. So this went on for my entire childhood Not the peeing the pants bit. (laughs) That was the only time that it happened. But all the other stuff, being petrified of public speaking or having people's eyes on me, asking me questions about myself. It was just so bizarre. I felt pretty comfortable with my closest family members, albeit I was still very quiet and not just in not speaking, like not saying anything, but even when I did speak, my voice was so painfully soft and inaudible. (laughs) It's quite painful when a kid's like that. (laughs) I do remember my parents encouraging me to open my mouth and speak louder. My mum used to always say, put a plum in your mouth and speak. And I just used to think she was ridiculous. (laughs) But it makes total sense. To articulate my words, I literally say that to my own kids, especially Oscar, because he's so much like me. I'm really sorry, Oscar. You're going to be like thinking back on this going, oh my God, mum was telling me to put a plum in my mouth and open my mouth and articulate my words. I wish I listened to my parents back then. And at the same time, even though they were encouraging to help articulate my words, it didn't actually solve the underlying problem, which to this day I have no idea what it was, but I think it was just being in a little bubble and then all of a sudden thrust out into the world. I had this, that first reaction in my body, then my brain just attached it to that. And it just made logical sense at the time for my five-year-old brain. And then I just ran with it. I never really questioned it. So moving through school, my worst days were when we had to stand and read chapters out loud. Oh my God, it was like the worst. It was, I used to get so worked up as it got closer to me. It was always this build up. I sometimes just wish people would be like, Prue, you go first. As I got older, I would actually nominate myself to go first if I knew we all had to do it because the discomfort I felt even at the thought of doing it was actually worse than doing it. 
So yeah, reading chapters out loud, doing those timetable practice, like seriously, standing up, having times tables thrown at me and having to answer. I could hardly breathe, let alone calculate or remember timetables answers. It was the worst experience. It actually just accumulated in my brain and made me feel more dumb because I was put on the spot. And even though I was really quite good at that stuff, it just gave me proof and evidence that I wasn't because I was already just in my my nervous system and it was just on fire. And as I said earlier, (laughs) the worst thing was, God forbid, that dreaded oral presentation day. I mean, seriously, teachers, can't we just stand up and hand in the piece of cardboard? (laughs) I loved doing that assignment on Krakatoa. I did not love presenting it to the class. That and every other presentation throughout my high school years or even my primary school years was riddled with overthinking, feeling sick, losing my appetite, binge eating Milo, and then at a complete loss of all my body's reactions. You know, just having everything just do exactly the opposite of what I wanted. So I'm not sure how you react in these circumstances, but for me, my throat closes over. I can feel my heart racing so hard that I'm puffing out words like I've just run the bloody Sydney Marathon or something. I've got absolutely no saliva left in my mouth to even get the words out. And God forbid, (laughs) if I have to hold notes, those babies will be shaking so bad that my audience would be worried that I was going to take off. (laughs) There's no way that I could hold notes. I had to have one of those little stands to put them on or something because it was just ridiculous. I mean, really. And what's so bad about public speaking anyway that allowed my body to do that? I just, like I said, I think it just attached it to that moment and then it just ran with it. When I think back on it, I actually can't believe that I survived all the dangers that high school thrust upon me. I mean, really all those speaking engagements. And I did a lot of public speaking when I was a kid, now that I think about it, in comparison to others anyway. You see, I was school captain, both in junior and senior schools. I was sports captain, SRC, and I was also head boarder. That job came with its fair share of speeches. I remember always wanting my male counterparts to do more of the load, but it never really worked out that way. My nerves even took over on my piano recitals. I actually really loved piano. What I didn't love and actually what inevitably made me quit in the end was having to do my exams and play at the Estedfords. I just really just wanted it to be for myself, but I had gone through a few teachers And the last teacher was adamant that I was playing in the Estedfords and doing all my exams. And my exams for piano also involved singing, which, hey, for somebody that does not want to be in the spotlight at all, singing was a complete no-no. So I just remember getting so cranky that she was making me do this because I just wanted to learn to play the piano for myself. I didn't want to become some maestro playing in the orchestra. I just wanted it to be for myself. And the things that every time I think about that piano recital, again, it's quite sad really because I could play it beautifully at home. But because I was so nervous and my hands were jumping around 
on those on those keys, the Estedfords were always such a mess. Like I always left feeling embarrassed and disappointed that I didn't play well enough. Yeah, that's sad because it actually, again, put more proof in the proof bucket that I wasn't actually good at that. And again, it's something that I, it's one of those regrets that I have because I would, I love piano. I keep saying to myself, I'm going to take it up again. But now that I'm talking out loud to you, I'm thinking maybe I have to actually undo a lot of those old limiting beliefs about I was bad at it and I didn't know how to do it before I even begin. Hmm. That's what I'm going to do actually. Anyway, what else did it do? What did these nervousness cost me and not being able to speak up? It also affected my dating life. Oh, geez, this is, yeah, this is bad. (laughs) I can't believe I even got married at all (laughs) because I could not speak to a boy. There's no way. Like I remember having a boy in, boyfriend in high school and I feel sorry for that boy because I just didn't speak. I sat there like a mute, not knowing what to say because I was so, I just didn't think I was good enough, didn't have anything good to say. And so I just sat there in silence. <laughs> this makes me laugh now. And I think, oh, wow, I had a lot to learn back then. <laughs> this is a funny story. My very first kiss A boy actually had asked me to go to the movies, like to go out with him and go to the movies. And I was like, you know, and he was one of these popular boys back in the day. And so, of course, I said yes. And my girlfriends and I went to the movies. His his guy friends and him came to the movies and we were sitting up the back. And I remember the thought of him kissing me because I thought that was going to happen was so nerve-wracking to me. And because I've already just didn't even know how to speak to him when I was sitting there, I was shaking like my full body was shaking like a leaf. I remember it so clearly. Anyway, he leaned over, gave me a little kiss, which was my first kiss. And then he dumped me. (laughs) How how embarrassing, right? Again, more proof in the proof bucket that this, this girl is no good. And so, yeah, I got dumped after my first kiss. Because, well, I just, I was too nervous and I couldn't speak and I was, yeah, just, just a wreck. Interesting. Hey, has something funny like that happened to you? I would love to know. Oh, geez, all these old memories. So once I got old enough and was able to drink alcohol, well, alcohol gave me that courage I needed to talk to boys. But believe me, it's not a good strategy. (laughs) It's not something I'm going to recommend for sure. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I finally started to realize how this was holding me back, how me being so petrified of speaking, even just in simple moments, was really starting to affect my life. Yeah, when I started to dig into it, it was a big part of why I was feeling dissatisfied with my life. It was why my relationship with my husband was strained or well felt strained. It was why I was frustrated at work. It it was why I was still living life on someone else's terms. And honestly, I just didn't even know who I was and I didn't even know where to start. You see, if I was crippled at the thought of speaking, I was actually just crippled at the thought of myself. Like, who am I? What, What am I meant to do here? And I was afraid to speak up and to share my thoughts or opinions for fear So let's take a look at what I was actually fearing really. 
because let's be honest, my reaction, my bodily reaction didn't really match the circumstances. It didn't make sense. So what was I scared of? Like fear was definitely in the way. The biggest thing I was fearful of was, and this also might be true for you too, so I'm hoping you're taking some mental notes. It was judgment from others, like you most probably. I've had my fair share of judgment. You know, we we grew up in societies that has a lot of judgment and it's something that we have to all bear from time to time. And really, if I thought about it, it's like, well, I'm already getting judgment without actually doing anything. Why would I put myself and evoke more by putting myself out there? I'm pretty sure that was going on in my head. And there was also that fear of being left out, being ostracized, being rejected, because nobody wants that, right? Like we want to be in community. We want to feel loved and connected to others. And if we think that speaking out, being ourselves and being honest will get us ostracized, well, hell no, we're not going to speak up. We're just going to be playing the part that they want us to play, which also leads us to appearing different. So being, yeah, if you appear different to people, people like people that are the same. They feel more comfortable. And so when someone is different, there's a risk that they will be ostracized. So I just stayed that chameleon and people pleased everybody. Another big piece of the fear is that fear of embarrassment. Like there's, like I said, that piano days, I was embarrassed because I thought it so much that I was going to embarrass myself. What happened? I embarrassed myself every time. I left those stages quite humiliated that I didn't do well. And another reason is we don't want to alienate others. If you are kind-hearted, like most people are, it's hard to disagree or let people down. It's actually easier just to stay quiet and not voice your opinions. And lastly, we're fearful because we don't want people to perceive us differently to how we perceive ourselves. So we want to control how others perceive us. Therefore, we put on that front. We stay quiet. We don't give them opportunity to ridicule us or alienate us. And it's funny because we think that by not speaking and not being seen will keep you safe. Yeah, when I was doing some research on this and just from what I know from all my training, the opposite is true. I was reading an article on TEDx Vienna magazine and it says speaking up can have long-term negative effects such as suppressing emotions because we know emotions stay in the body until you process them can give you nightmares, create anxiety, give you low self-esteem, even depression. So that's what not speaking up will will give you. So if you're in the 75% of people that have a fear of speaking and fear of public speaking, these things are consequences of that. Ultimately, not speaking up and suppressing emotions change the way we think. And as you know, I'm all for thinking with intention to change our thinking patterns. That's why we're all here. That's why I'm doing this work. That's why I'm sharing it with you. So let's figure this out together. And now I'm just going to run you through a few techniques that have helped me. Like you've heard my story. I was petrified of speaking in general, even more petrified of speaking in public and doing all these things. Yet here I am. I'm sitting on this podcast talking to you looking at myself on Zoom, (laughs) why I talk to you, posting 
stuff about myself, my life, my teachings, and really leaning into this to help create change for you. Here's what has helped me, and I'm encouraging you to give it a go too. Because remember, I'm just ordinary. If I can do it, you can do it. So the first thing is learn a practice that calms your nervous system. And you've heard me talk about this before, is that I chose Ziva meditation. It's a meditation practice created by a lady called Emily Fletcher. And it actually has allowed me to strengthen my vagus nerve, a really important largest nerve in your body that has given me the ability to calm myself, to lower my stress levels in my body. Like I can do it on command now. Just as an interesting piece of information for you to take with you is an emotion only lasts 90 seconds. And so if I was sitting around, say, a boardroom, and I knew I had to introduce myself, and I think I've shared this message before, I would feel my heart rate rising and my thoughts grabbing hold and taking me back to my old ways of totally losing control of my body. Yet if I am in awareness and can feel that that feeling in my body, I can actually calm my nervous system using these techniques that I've learned. Some deep breathing, you know, reminding myself that it only takes nine, it's only 90 seconds. I can do anything for 90 seconds. I have the ability to calm my heart rate, my breathing. I can speak slower. I can be clear. I can be seen and visible and I'm not in danger. That's what meditation has done for me. And if you haven't got anything like that, there's definitely different versions of meditation that you can do. And I, I always say, try one and see what works for you. But there's also other things that help calm your nervous system as well. And breath work is one of them. I was only saying today on one of my Be Unshakable coaching calls that breath work is great and I can do things in the moment, but it is not a practice that I do on a daily basis. It's not for me on an everyday basis, but I like it occasionally. For me, meditation is my practice. But there's also like yoga, and I'm sure there's other things out there too that I don't even know about that can help calm your nervous system. The second thing is to learn more about yourself. This is why I offer the programs that I do, because it actually allows you to deep dive into your psyche discover what you're pretending not to know. And in this space, you will start to uncover all those limiting beliefs and current coping mechanisms that are no longer serving you. And the more that you get to know yourself, the more that you are in awareness and you can choose change. I highly always recommend this. And this can be just by yourself, doing some work, hiring a coach, being in a program, doesn't matter what it looks like, but I would love you to start something. The next thing that I do and do with most of my coaching clients is build a belief plan. I love this idea. It's like, yeah, building a plan for success, but in our mental state. So I was taught this by my coach. And like I said, I love teaching this to others as well. Basically, it's a plan oriented at your thinking, like also known as beliefs. And you start where you are, the belief that you have currently, and you decide where you'd like to be the belief that is the best version of yourself. And then you build it out step by step, belief by belief to where you want to be. It's an absolute game changer and I love it so much. 
The last two things <laughs> you're not going to like, but if you want different results and different feelings towards speaking and speaking up, this action definitely is imperative. Seriously. Start speaking up. That's the first one. <laughs> Sounds simple, I know, and it is. We don't have to make it bigger than it is. We often love making mountains out of molehills. And for you to actually start getting some runs on the board, I'm going to encourage you to create a mini goal around it. Ask yourself this question. By this time next week, I'll feel proud I've spoken up when dot, 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 and fill in the blank. Doesn't have to be big. Remember, it's a seven-day thing. Just seven days. It's just, you know how I've talked a lot about putting proof in the proof bucket for the negative stuff? This is about building proof in the proof bucket for the positive stuff that we actually want to lean into. So it might be Sunday night and you talk with your husband about the kids' plan for the week. Maybe you've always wanted to do that but never have. And maybe you're just like, hey, these are the drop-offs, pickups. which ones would you like to do? That might be it. That might be your goal ticked off. Maybe you have a meeting at work and you have a great idea that you've been sitting on. And so you decide that this is the week that I'm going to bring it up. Maybe you want to cancel plans with a friend, but you've been putting it off because, well, you don't want to hurt their feelings. Maybe that's the mini goal that you create. This is you just speaking up because remember a lot of the time and a lot of the results that we're, when we're not speaking up is that we're sitting in silence and we're feeling resentful and frustrated that nothing is going our way. Our life is just not ours. So just anything, just choose one small thing. It's all about changing your habits and stretching the comfort zone, remember? And this second one, yeah, you're really not going to like this, but oh, it has been the biggest game changer for me for sure. I found it the most incredible tool and it was like it was just accidental. <laughs> I didn't I didn't hear this on a podcast and go, oh, I'm going to do that, although I'm doing that for you today because I want you to push the needle faster. I was, this is a slow process for me. But what I found was to grow my self-confidence and my self-acceptance, <clears throat> especially around my appearance and my voice, because imagine if I didn't do these things, there's no way that I would be speaking to you right now on a podcast because I would still be hating on my own voice. So the thing to do is record yourself with a visual and watch it back. Oh, I know, I know. It's going to be a tough one. It could be just simply using your phone or your iPad, or if you have Zoom, great too. I record these podcasts via Zoom, like I said before. And where I once used to be so self-conscious to see and hear myself, now I find it weirdly comforting. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> it actually has helped me build my new thoughts about myself more rapidly because if I wasn't doing the visual thing and I wasn't watching myself and playing back and critiquing from like a neutral place, I would still be critiquing myself badly. And it would be really hard. So I want you to try this. I want you to try this more than anything else on this list. Believe me. It's actually been the most helpful and tangible thing I have done for myself. And so if you want to move the needle faster, try it. Like I'm not asking you to put out a podcast or even to let anybody else watch it, but you are your own worst critic. You watch it and you see all the bad things about yourself. 
Like I remember when I first started recording myself because I've done lots of video trainings or and Zoom trainings, I used to see my dodgy eye. It was like a little bit saggy on one side. So I would love to dive into this more, but we've actually run out of time and I better wrap this up. Otherwise, it will be too long. But if you do want to know more about all this, it's what we learn in Be Unshakable for sure. It's part of our growth in there. And if you want unwavering self-confidence, you can sign up anytime to get started. So as you know, I'm going to leave you with an intentional thought of the week and it's going to help you lean in to do this exercise because I realize it's hard. It's not easy to do things that are outside your comfort zone, but remember the benefits. The benefits are going to be better relationships, possibly even better sex if you're asking for what you want and definitely more satisfaction with life. So move over death as the easy way out. Hello to using your voice to live into your potential. So the thought of the week, doing hard things can create an easy life. Doing easy things creates a hard life, your choice. Okay, go out and practice that thought. Do all the things that I've asked, especially recording yourself. I would really love to hear some feedback. And if you want to send me any videos, I'm here to support you. Have a great day. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to More Life, Less Drama. All the details of this podcast can be found in the show notes on my website. And if you want to take your growth to the next level, I invite you to become part of my membership program, Be Unshakable, where we take this information and dive headfirst into putting it into action. Go to www.head-coach.com.au for all the details. Until next week.